Hey everyone, it's time for Movie Mastery, in theaters now edition. I am, of course, your illustrious and sexy host, John, and over here, my equally as sexy and probably as illustrious co-host, Jeff. Man, I was really expecting an insult there. I know you were. Hi everyone. I know you were expecting me to be mean, but right now... I want to lift you up. Oh, that's so nice, because I always could use the boost. I know. <laughs> I want to have just a, a, a point where we can have guys helping other guys. Really men loving men here. Yeah, you know what? That's what we're all about. That, that's that's absolutely right. And and, all, and also uh, celebrating the physicality of men without necessarily needing to sexualize it or stigmatize it. Indeed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, we went and saw... This week, there were two movies that were tied when we went to go see it, and the winner was decided on which showing was the most convenient. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) So, (laughs) instead of seeing Terminator Dark Fate, we saw Doctor Sleep, because it had a slightly earlier showtime. Slightly earlier showtime, and honestly, I feel like we both kind of thought we'd be able to pull more out of it. Oh, yeah. For conversation. I definitely think... Like before going in, I was like, I feel like I'm gonna have more to say about Doctor Sleep than I am yet another reboot that isn't actually a reboot of Terminator. Yeah, I might have had a lot to say about that if I'm honest. Uh, just that that uh, they keep doing this thing where they're like, well, this is a this is a sequel to Terminator Two, and you know, like Genesis or whatever, just never happened. It's it's we want we want to play off the cachet of the movie everyone really liked. Except there's always ones that are like, oh, and we. Well, at the end of it, we're also going to make mention that, like, all the other ones are all true, too. And you're like, yeah. I don't... Who gives... Just reboot it if you want to have a new story. It's a mess at this point. And one of these days, James Cameron's going to come back and be like, I want to make a Terminator movie again. And he'll be like, what the... Who who let all these... What's all this shit? <laughs> who, who let these idiots in to play with my toys? <laughs> you took all my shit out of the package. Look, we're stopping all this. We're going to reboot it entirely. Terminator is now about underwater blue aliens. <laughs> Terminator went back in time to save the planet from humans who like to pollute. <laughs> We're going to call it Fern Gullinator. <laughs> uh, so, no, we went and saw Dr. Sleep, the sequel, uh, both in the book and the movie, to uh, The Shining. Now, the book is very much a sequel to the novel The Shining, which is, of course, very different from Kubrick's movie. Uh, My understanding is that the novel kind of splits the difference and is a little bit of a sequel to the movie as well. Yeah, so the the Doctor Sleep one kind of has some Kubrick stuff in there Mm because Stephen King is like, yeah, sure, that's what people know. I think he famously doesn't like the Kubrick movie especially. No, he hated it at the time because he was like... This is nothing like my book. Yeah. I mean, for the same reason he would have hated Lawnmower Man. Yeah. Uh, but then again, Lawnmower Man was garbage in, <laughs> it, as a book. And so, you know, at least now we get a fun cyber guy, uh, <laughs> Jeff Fahey, I think. Uh, uh, yeah. But uh, but so we saw Dr. Sleep, which yeah, it, it tries its best to be an adaptation of the book and a sequel to the movie that wasn't very well related to the book. Yeah. the <laughs> The fact that this is very clearly feels more like someone's love letter to Kubrick's Shining yes. than being an actual just straight-up adaptation of the book mm-hmm. 
is uh, I feel like that's probably a better route to go. It's is fu- like, have the novel novels follow each other, have the movies follow each other, and it doesn't matter if they're alike or not. It's funny how we ended up in the same place we would have gone to with Terminator, where it would have been the same thing. Like, oh, this is a love letter to Terminator 2, even though there's five other movies between then and now. Mm-hmm. Or it, but basically, they both did the Brandon Routh Superman Returns things. So they're like, don't worry about it. So, yeah, you know that one where he had the... Uh, Richard Pryor skiing down a skyscraper. That just didn't happen. It's fine. <laughs> Don't worry about that. That's not <laughs> that's not a thing we want to think about. There's no longer a part where a guy shows up at a farm and does a parody of the patent speech in the canon of the Superman universe. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Dr. Sleep, no spoilers for now. Uh, but I'm going to say I actually fairly liked it. I'll say it had definitely a weaker third act than the, I yeah, would have liked. The third act kind of dumps. The rest of the movie is fine. <laughs> Dumps. Dumps. But the rest of the movie is a-okay. Uh, I-, I liked a lot of the concepts. I'll have some nitpicks here and there, of course, but uh, ultimately, it was fine. Yeah, I do. I'll say this. Uh, I think a lot of the horror in this, especially the imagery and sort of the tropes that you expect from horror, come from a different angle than you would normally assume in a movie like this yes yeah right up until the third act uh which at that point it's it feels like a different angle because it turns into a completely different film oh yeah at that point they're just like hey you've seen the shining right (laughs) (laughs) better hope so uh now compared to the most recent stephen king adaptation that we've also seen and done in theaters now this is better than it part two by by a country mile by a country mile and an extra country mile. <laughs> By a country mile, which of course everyone knows a country mile is mm-hmm. a third of a kilometer. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's by two thirds of a kilometer. Uh, yeah, it's 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 fine. It's an okay. Uh, but honestly, that might just be because of my you know predilections towards you and McGregor. Oh, well, yeah. I would happily walk into a boiling car wash if he was in there grinning. <laughs> yeah, man. You and McGregor, love him. Yeah. Absolutely love him. Does a great job in, in this movie as well. Yeah. I really like his take on a grown-up Danny. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. So, uh, uh, yeah, moderate recommend if you're. But then again, here come the spoilers. Yeah, we're gonna take a quick break. We'll get a full, in-depth review of Doctor Sleep right after this. Hey, my sweet children, it's time to really find out what's going on in Dr. Sleep. Oh, yeah, that sounds like a good plan to me. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say for this particular episode, I know normally I just sort of immediately grab the reins and uh, start talking about the entire plot of the film. Uh, And in this situation, I'm going to do so. So we begin. (laughs) No, honestly, you're way more in the wheelhouse for this film and have more of a connection to being able to point out all the shit that connects it to The Shining and so on than I would ever be. Yeah. So I'm just going to let loose the reins and just <laughs> and just be here doing color commentary. It'll be just like an episode of the show where, uh, of the regular show, The System Mastery that we do, where it's clear that I skimmed the book. <laughs> yeah, it's very clear that Jeff skimmed the movie. <laughs> I spent most of my time throwing Twizzlers at people in front of me that were on their phones. <laughs> Ah, uh, it's always something with you, man. Every time we go to the theater, there's someone there that you're just like, I hate you so much. I have much. crippling ADHD. I know. If you turn on a phone anywhere, I'll, it's like, I just go, huh? What? Who? What? I can't. The, the screen is completely obliterated by this little tiny, less bright screen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the <laughs> the movie 
uh, starts pretty much exactly where The Shining leaves off. We still have a young Danny. It's been maybe like six One week. months. Oh, okay. <laughs> it has not been. It has been longer than that. It has been a while. <laughs> it's been a while Thank since you. Danny Torrance got chased by his dad. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, and we start with him doing the whole ride a bike around the Overlook. Mm-hmm. And so you get the like the classic uh, the carpeting yeah look, the, classic, uh, the classic overlook carpeting the low angle f- uh, filming to show the world from the eyes of like a five year old yeah you get that like right behind the bike as it twists through the halls it goes on way too long just like any given shot in The Shining yeah it is just straight up like oh we took a Shining thing yeah and it turns out that that is just a dream that Danny is having mm-hmm. but he is still being haunted by these ghosts from the overlook yes and not just as far as like oh he is haunted by the memories in that he definitely has trauma from his father attempting to kill him Mm -hmm. but like the literal ghosts of the overlook are there like he gets up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and the woman from 237 is in the bathtub at his house yes yeah um he also gets scared by the dream, but I can't remember the specific thing that scares him in the dream. Uh, it's But it's something else from the hotel. Some other hotel moment. Like, oh, it's the same one. The door opens and you can see the lady starting to walk out, and that wakes him up. Yeah. yeah. He he rides his little bike into 237, mm-hmm. and then he, you know, screams and wakes up, and then she's there in his house. Yeah. And uh, he just pisses himself. Yeah, he just gives himself a little Danny P. Uh, <laughs> little Danny P, that's me. <laughs> I sell newspapers. <laughs> Won't you buy me papes, mister? We mentioned Newsies way more than his normal one. You'd the, think we wouldn't, yeah. and yet. Newsies just seems to come up a lot. Uh, and not the not the film Newsies either. Just no, the, just, just the generic con- Newsies. The concept of the Newsie. Uh, so this is the beginning of a question I have that I think maybe you could help me answer, which is he makes a big deal in the movie about how the Overlook itself is actually the haunted, the dark plate, the thing. Yes. The, the hotel has a life of its own, uh, and then it gets condemned and shut down. Is it sending the ghosts out as, like, tendrils of itself, or are they ghosts like independent entities that are bothering Danny because... Why would they even bother? I guess because he has The Shining? Yeah. Okay. So the whole thing uh, is basically the Overlook is, the way I would say, is basically like an evil place that then captures evil spirits in it. Okay. So it's sort of both an area that is itself, like, hungry but it captures these hungry ghosts within it. Which makes it feel like less like a bad place and more like a really good one, given that it is an isolated hotel in rural, mountainous Colorado that is not a good place to go to. It's like, perfect, thanks for catching all those ghosts and keeping the middle of nowhere. It's like having a nuclear site in Colorado. Well, up until it got shut down after the events of The Shining, hmm. uh, you know, people would go there and then randomly just tragedies would happen or people would die but they never really shut the hotel down that's fair until the events of the shining and that's why they're after him is because there was no longer an influx of people at this resort that it could feed off of yeah and since danny is a huge amount of this psychic energy yes it's like a lot of ppe yeah no there he's like all right these ghosts at least know that's Something I can eat. Yeah. And so they're after him. Right. So he stands in the hallway all night long, uh, being afraid of this woman in the bath, the the, the creepy uh, drowned in the bathtub lady. 
who gets a lot of action in this movie. She's, I mean, she does the same thing like four times, but she's in this movie like four times. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the sort of creepy ghost from The Shining. I mean, the one that the, the one with the most cultural cachet is by far the twins. Well, yeah, because you can't show an old naked lady yeah, as yeah. something on just a commercial. In fact, I would say old naked lady is probably third most of the ghosts specifically. Uh, we, we're, I'm setting aside Jack Nicholson for this entire conversation, right? Okay. Uh, of the ghosts, the scariest in order, or well, not scariest, but most culturally relevant, the twins, the blowjob dog, and then and then the creepy old lady. Your blowjob now, dog. <laughs> Because the blowjob dog gets mentioned more than any of the other ones because it's weird and off-putting. <laughs> and you have no idea what the tragedy is. related. Like, you can tell that the lady drowned in a bathtub. Like, duh. It was obvious. The, the guy with a head wound died from a head wound. But what's going on with blowjob dog? <laughs> That's what the people want to know. Did that blowjob kill that businessman? Or did it kill that dog? <laughs> or both? <laughs> was it a, a mutually assured suicide blowjob? <laughs> Uh, My favorite 90s punk band, by the way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, for young Danny and uh, his mom, we get actors that they have gotten to be as close to, like, Shelley Duvall, and uh, we later on get a Jack Nicholson person. And Yeah, whoever plays young Danny Torrance. It's not like anyone's going to remember that. And uh, Tony, we get a, a guy to... We get Carl Lumbly as Tony, which I'm actually really happy with. Yeah, they did They did a good job of sort of capturing the essence these actors did of these various characters. Yeah, I mean, you can tell there's some false teeth going on in that Shelley Duvall lookalike. Well, I mean, you gotta, you gotta work it's, to get someone to look alike Shelley Duvall. Yeah, you have two options. You can, either, you can either find a woman and stick some false teeth in there, or you can have people bring olive oil to life from the comic book pages of the 1920s. <laughs> or you can just straight up Tupac hologram that person in there. <laughs> uh, Tupac holograms of Shelley Duvall are really easy, because she's already two-dimensional. <laughs> Uh, but he gets real scared of the ghost. Shelley Duvall shows up to try and help. And we learned that, uh, he has not spoken since the events of the shining as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, but then he manages to talk to Tony on a park bench somewhere. Mm -hmm. Tony, by the way, if you're not like a big shining fan, like, 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 say like me. Yeah. uh, Say like you. uh, He's the dude, the black dude that shows up in the movie and is like, you got the shining. Oh shit. An ax. He's like, I'm here to say, Oh, ax. I was more relevant in the book. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So he gives a lot of, you know, ideas and help to our young Danny Torrance and is like, here's a trick. If any of them come back to you, like, imagine this box. Well, yeah, and we get his tragic backstory here, which was, I, I was kind of neat, uh, excited to learn about, too. Well, yeah, he's like, oh, I had The Shining, and, you know, my uh, grandpa, grandpa used to beat the hell out of me and my mom and my grandma, and uh, even when he died, he would still show up in my house. And so my grandma told me the trip of, trick of, like, imagine this box in your mind and just lock him in there. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, that's essentially what Danny is going to do is just use his mind prison on some ghosts. Yeah, it turns out that everyone who's got The Shining also has a mind palace, and a lot of his mind palace is just the outdoor frozen maze from from uh, The Shining, from The Overlook, and he just lines it with these robot coffin boxes that are full of ghosts from The, from the Overlook. Hell yeah. Starting, starting that day as he just walks into the bathroom with the old lady, and then you hear her screaming and, and thrashing about. And uh, he comes back and is like, hey, mom, I love you. Mm -hmm. I'm speaking now. (laughs) 
I'm no longer afraid because now I have mind boxes. Mother, I've chosen not to overlook your affections for me. And then he like puts on some sunglasses. Yeah! <laughs> and then we get the Doctor Sleep credits and it's just over some Who song. <laughs> yeah, it's a pinball wizard. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. Of course. Uh, you're a shining wizard. <laughs> Oh, that deaf, dumb, and shining kid sure played a mean pinball with psychic powers. <laughs> uh, now, of course, we jump forward in time to uh, 2011, mm-hmm. and Danny is just a mess. He's an alcoholic. He gets in fights. He wakes up next to some woman that he can barely remember who has vomited in the bed next to him. Oh, that scene hurt me deeply because I'm a new dad. That scene was rough. That was the roughest scene in the film for me. Yeah, he and goes, there was a lot of violent death in this movie, but that was the one where I was like, ugh. Oh, really? I thought it was going to be Baseball Boy, but nope. The he wakes up and like looks in his wallet, and she's apparently stolen his money, and he assumes to buy coke that she did last night. So he robs her, but as he's trying to leave, a little baby comes out, and you're like, oh, god damn it. She's got like maybe a one and a half year old yeah and he and the kids wearing like a stained up onesie and there's it's clear she's sleeping on a filthy mattress and this kid's like coming out of a closet so it's so but his his plan is well i don't want to deal with this responsibility i'm just going to put her the baby on the same bed as the passed out barf mom and just sneak with out a bag of cheez it's yeah and be like here you go kid and tony shows up to be like Come on, Doc. You can't. You can't take her money. Like, At least that. I mean, that's not even her money, really. That's kid money. Yeah. He's like, well, she stole my money probably to buy Coke. And Tony's like, dude, you're better than this. Yeah. Come on. And it's unresolved whether or not he is better than that. Uh, uh, I assume he leaves. It. I think I think he doesn't because the next shot is him having a new bottle of booze. Huh. Uh, I think I think he takes the money. But but who knows? I mean, it, he's is, gonna re- it is left up it, to the viewer. Yeah, but the the suggestion, the next shot being him cracking open the label on a new bottle of booze, su- it suggests that he took the money to buy booze specifically because he was like, "Oh shit, my money's gone. I need money right the fuck now." And it's because he needs to shake off the the ghost effects that that are always that have plagued him throughout his life. Yeah, he is he's drunk so that he can dull the shine. Yeah, and uh, this is the point where we get sort of a split in this movie between two plot lines that eventually converge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we now jump off to that campground in 1980. Yeah, we've got Danny doing his stuff, and then we've also got the like dirty hobo psychic vampire uh, team that is led by Rose the Hat, an Irish woman who... At, like, when we first meet them, she's just sort of being that kind of nice but also a little creepy to a little girl Mm -hmm. and then they all fall on her and they're like ah yes we're you've you're special you've got the abilities you can know things she can predict colors before she sees them yeah she's not an especially powerful shining kid but but her deal is that she can predict colors a little bit and rose the hat apparently has all kinds of powers because she's like she starts by introducing herself and she's like oh do you like my funny, stupid hat? Uh, I, I've worn it for so long that people just call me the hat as a result of it. And and then she's like, watch the magic tricks I can do and whatever. And you know, ultimately, her and her creepy posse is going to eat this kid or whatever. But but uh, I can't get over how dumb she looks. Ah, it's I mean, they picked a great actor. I, I, I think her name's Rebecca Ferguson. Uh, she's 
she's a she's a good actor. She does a, a very good job, but you can tell the hat is connected to the Stephen King narrative, and they did their best to find a creepy yet striking hat to put her in. She looks like Linda Perry from the Four Non Blondes. What's up? What's going on? Video, <laughs> and the entire movie is just every time she pops up in the background, I expect her to be like, "Hey, what's going on?" And it's it's, it's rough. She looks like every '90s music video. Yeah, I mean the entire psychic hobo camp is full of things like i'm rose the hat i'm crow daddy i'm barry the chunk and Mm -hmm. you're like okay i get it and yeah the the aesthetic of them is extremely what you'd expect it's a bunch of rangy gross leathery circus hobos plus some hot women yeah it's all the guys look like they are ready for Burning Man to mm-hmm. go find ladies that look like the ladies in this camp and annoy them. Yeah. The, all the men look like roadies for Judas Priest, and all the women look like, you know, they were cast in Hollywood. Yeah. It's it's slightly irritating. It makes sense because, you know, they're recruiting. They're intentionally recruiting, and the, the dudes appear to have all been on the team for quite a long time. Uh, but but uh, it, it's striking and irritating when you first see it. You're like, wow, it's a bunch of half-toothed Florida dudes, and sexy hollywood babes oh yeah you're like all right here's uh a young paul schaefer and he's teamed up with a twin peaks giant alien yeah uh, and the uh, big crooked guy from the phantasm and also a old lou diamond phillips is here yeah there's an old leathery lou diamond phillips who is not actually lou diamond phillips but no, I spent he the, is not i spent the whole movie going wow that's uh that's a good turn for lou diamond phillips <laughs> <laughs> and all the rest of them were like Oh, you're you're hot Hollywood ladies. Okay, yeah. You have no lines. None of you have a single line unless you're Rose. Yeah, yeah. It, Rose is. Oh man, I, I really like her performance. The whole like being kind of a hippie about being a weird psychic vampire. She's always calling everyone honey. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's uh it's kind of an adorable performance. The hat, however, does a completely different performance. The hat says, I just woke up uh, w- woke up after a one-night stand with Scott Weiland, got dressed with shit from his house, and then went to the store. Uh, it's, uh, it's a very 90s female singer-songwriter look. It, oh, man, the skirts, are, the skirts are part of it. It's like they're being stalked by a young Stevie Nicks. <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry, I, I, a lot, I had a lot of jokes lined up because this outfit is something. So... We established then sort of the two things that are going on. We've got our drunken Danny Torrance and our psychic vampires. Mm -hmm. Now, Danny eventually shows up in a small New Hampshire town and is befriended by one of the locals who can tell that he's just really fucked up and in need of something that dude is also a shining dude he has he has an ability to get a read on people right away and get their kind of inherent goodness or not well yeah there's i mean danny even says it throughout the movie he's like a lot of people have a little bit of shine they just don't know it maybe you always end up being someplace on time Maybe you you show up with flowers when your wife's had a bad day yeah uh, most people never re- they go through their whole life with their shine and never realize they even have one. And this dude, you can tell he's got one because also his right eye is like a full solid inch above his left eye. Uh, and so, that's how you know. Yeah, that's how you know. <laughs> his eyes look like stairs. <laughs> so uh, he offers a place to Danny mm-hmm. and is like, you can stay here. We'll see about getting you some work. And just a good dude. He's just a very good person yeah and even danny's like you don't 
know me. Why are you doing this? And it's because of his shine. He he got a read on this guy, and he was he's, like, oh, this guy isn't what he looks like. He's not a dirty drunk. Uh, there, there's I mean, a he good, is, but... Yeah, there's a good man buried under this. Yeah, and he even manages to get him to go to AA with him. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, Danny, pretty much this is his turning point. This is... His moment of clarity is this one act of kindness for him. Yes, and it really works because ultimately he's not... He's not an alcoholic because for the same reason that most people are alcoholics is the thing. He's an alcoholic because ghosts are chasing him. Um, and so when he makes the turn, you'd think it'd be like a real problem. Like, you know, ghosts would start chasing him again. But instead, it, I guess the ghost stopped chasing him a long time ago. And for, for a long time now, he's just been an alcoholic. Yeah. I mean, there's, this, he, there's a point where he talks to Tony and he's like, yeah, I, the last time someone visited me, it was that guy with a head wound that says, lovely party, isn't it? And I just immediately locked him in a fucking box. <laughs> that guy must have just been like, hey, I'm oh. like the least harmful ghost in this stupid hotel. Like, I don't even do anything. I just, tell, I just say, nice party, huh? <laughs> Ugh. The only nicer ghost than me is the bartender one. <laughs> yeah, the, the fact that he's like, oh, no, I... I've basically been running from ghosts that haven't been chasing me is a great metaphor yeah. for a lot of the like alcoholics that are there. No, it's for it's, normal reasons. Yeah, it's it's a it's a good idea and it works well. Uh, and it makes a good framing device because we see him get his twenty four hour chip and then I think his eight month chip before we finally jump all the way ahead to well, his no, eight. When we when we leave, we get the eight year chip. Yeah, we get the eight year. But uh, I think we see the five month chip where he's like, oh, okay. "Thanks." Yeah. But during this time, he also makes contact with a little girl named Abra, who is ultra psychic. Yeah, she's uh, she's even shinier than than uh, Danny Torrance. Yeah, and I mean, Danny is supposed to be like, oh, you are ridiculously powerful, and Abra's like, yo. I will clown on everything. Yeah. And it makes me wonder if shining people aren't getting shinier over the course of history. Like they make they make mention the the vampires eventually have conversations where they make mentions that people there's less shine in the world now than there used to be and it's getting dulled and they're like, "Yeah, it's because of all the Paxil and video games and Burning Man and shit. It dulls everyone's good shine." Yeah, no one's really relying on their minds anymore. Yeah, whatever, old man. Yeah. Fucking Stephen King bullshit. Oh, no yeah. one reads newspapers on the trolley anymore. Oh, yeah. No, this is definitely like It's a, an okay boomer moment. Oh, are these kids no psychic powers? And you're like, eh. Yeah. They're just as stimulated, if not more, than they used to be. Eat a dick, you old ba- you old bastards. Um, but yeah, but, but Abra- you think about it, there's a, there's a line in the movie where Tony's like, ain't no one never shined like you, boy. You're the shiniest boy whatever shine. And then he meets Abra and is like, holy fuck. Oh, yeah. Because he's like, yeah, I, I've been trying to dull that because I don't want to shine so bright because shining attracts problems. Things. Yeah. Like, whether it's, you know, psychic vampires, hungry ghosts, whatever it happens to be. Evil hotels. You know, if you are that, dads. that shiny then things are going to notice you. Yeah. So when he meets this girl psychically, uh, he gets basically just a chalkboard little hello written on his wall, Mm -hmm. and he writes back to her. And that's sort of how they communicate is uh, she can see the wall and affect it, and he writes to her. Mm -hmm. And he's refusing to use his own shining powers to just talk back to her directly. Yeah, he doesn't be like oh i'm gonna talk to your mind he will only do it through the uh the little blackboard wall that he's got and the other thing we get during this ensuing eight-year montage that moves us to the the present time is an establishment of the why the movie is called what it is 
uh, because it turns out he takes a job as an orderly working in a uh, hospice. And he gets used to a cat that has the shining that li- that lives in the hospice. It's it's the death you know those death cats. That, yeah, it's that, a cat that knows when you are about to die and just comes up and sits on your bed with you. Yeah, sits with you when you die. Uh, and he learns from that that the cat has the power, which in this universe is obviously means that the cat has some semblance of animal shining. Uh, but it turns out he's very good at sitting with people as they die. Yeah, he can sit there and sort of reassure them because not only can he be like. Oh, don't worry. We go on after we die. Like, Mm -hmm. I know I've seen ghosts. Death isn't the end. But also because of his shine, he can touch them and be like, you know, remember these good times in your life. Yeah. So he he is the Dr. Sleep. Yeah. He is the titular Dr. Sleep. And because he gets called a doc Mm -hmm. in The Shining and even, you know, in Dr. Sleep when he's a kid, he was sort of nicknamed Doc. Yeah. That then translates into, you know him saying oh dying is just sort of going to sleep he is doctor sleep yes so that that's been established that's that's a thing he's been doing now one thing to mention here uh when he meets with the doctor that lets him have this orderly job at Mm. this hospice the room that they meet in is almost an identical recreation of the room that jack nicholson meets his boss in when he tells him he's going to go to the overlook oh okay uh the uh wall painting like the color on the walls is the same a lot of the pictures are in the same places Hmm. uh so even the way that they're sitting in that scene is very reminiscent of that he's also used a psychic trick on this guy already where he's like been like oh your watch is sitting on a bathroom counter he's like oh you're missing your watch and you've lost it when you were fretting about this kid with bone disease and try looking on the soap dispenser in the bathroom right and the guy is like hey do you need a job and it's like how did you even know that shit he's like i don't know uh lucky guess or whatever and the guy finally is like yeah all your excuses are bullshit but i don't care you can have a job yeah he's like you know your friend vouches for you and you seem like a good guy yeah and it's hard to keep people in a hospice area because people die all the time and not a lot of people can handle that yeah and of course danny's like oh i don't think you need to worry about that he specifically me. says the whole world is a hospice with fresh air yeah um which we're is, all dying yeah kind of a nihilistic perspective to take but whatever good on you danny yeah. uh and we get some more establishing stuff about the vampires over the course of this time now uh they get a new recruit in we find a 15 year old girl who is essentially doing revenge psychic stuff to uh internet predators yeah and this is also around i think 2011 this is before the time jump yes uh so she's meeting people in revival movie theaters which did not exist in 2011 once again stephen king okay boomer (laughs) yeah the fact that like oh yeah she's meeting someone in a movie theater playing casablanca yeah and they walk in three quarters of the way through it yeah, that, that makes sense. None of this is happening. Yeah, it's not 1940. No one shows up to the movies at the three-quarter mark because they're going to wait for the second feature. Yeah, so <laughs> the you know guy shows up and is like, hey, are we going to go somewhere else? And then she just ends up being like, sleep. And then cuts his face in these two snake bite-looking marks and is like, you know, you can try and play off where you, you were. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to your wife but every time you look in the mirror you're gonna see these marks and know that you tried to prey on a little girl and you'll know you should never do something like this again 
Right. And then we reveal that uh, the the Lou Diamond Phillips lookalike, whose name turns out to be Crow Daddy. Yep. And Axel Rose's walking coat rack, uh, Rose the Hat, are, are, are hanging out behind, behind her, looking, watching this happen. And they're like, oh, she's a pusher. Mm-hmm. We haven't had one of those in our squad in a while. And this pet peeved me just a little bit. I, I love the idea that The Shining re- reflects itself as unique powers mm-hmm. and that she's a pusher. She can, she's, she can do psychic suggestion. Yeah. Uh, and that we see that she has that power. And we meet another kid later who has the power of always being able to hit baseball. Like he can read a pitcher's mind. So he's got that going for him. But of all these like circus hobos and sexy ladies that make up the psychic vampire tribe, we never get a definition that the rest of them are good at any one thing. Yeah. I mean, we get told a little bit that Crow Daddy is sort of one of their seekers mm-hmm. to try and find people with shine. Yeah. So he might have the ability to like see shine and then rose just has lots and lots of powers rose just has whatever the fuck she wants she's got i think the biggest one is astral projection is her big power yeah uh but then she's also just sort of got general telepathy yeah she's a lot of telepath stuff yeah uh and then you know the the fucking angus angus scrim look like old man never does a goddamn thing so it's kind of a a disappointment that that we establish that oh we, we we seek out individual types of shine but we aren't going to define ourselves in any way. Well, no, because outside of a dog. Crow Daddy and yeah. Rose the Hat, nobody has lines. The grandpa has a couple, but it's mostly just like, oh, he'll lead the ceremony and he says some lines and that's it. Yeah, like pretty much everyone else gets no business, which I'm fine with because I'm sure in the book they all get some business. And I bet it all sucks. Well, it's also a waste of time. Who gives a shit? You don't need it. Yeah. Uh, but they recruit her. Apparently, Rose is so powerful that she can't be pushed by Annie, uh, the new girl. Yeah, yeah, Abby. Andy. Uh, Andy, Andy, right, right, right. Uh, yeah, she, because, you know, Crow is the first to, hey, 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 hold up a second. She's like, you don't want to follow me. And he's like, no, I don't. And he just stops. Yeah. But then he does it to her, or Andy does it to uh, Rose, and she's like, you want to leave me alone? Oh, no, I don't, honey. Well, I no, don't think I, I don't. do. I don't think I do. And you're like... Like, oh, great. So she's one of those where her power is that she's just really, very really powerful. very powerful. Great. Uh, so she gets inducted and it it's, turns out it's they're straight up vamps. Yeah, because the whole thing is they have like a whole ceremony. She breathes in the steam, quote unquote, from uh, the kid that they killed in 1980. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the way it works is like vampires would drink blood. They drink pretty much the psychic essence of a person yes and, and the first time you do it it fucks you up real bad yeah it basically just kills you yeah because she's like oh my god i thought you said it wouldn't hurt that felt like i was dying oh you did so they really are just straight up vampires yeah they, but they're they're psychic vampires because they don't bite you instead they hurt you real bad and then you breathe a cloud of steam out your face and so they suck that stuff up like they're vaping yeah i honestly i like this interpretation of psychic vampire much better than some of the other ones. Oh yeah, no, I think it's it's clever and it's good visual representation. I, I mean, I'm I'm not really complaining right now. No, the I mean, a lot of the psychic vampire stuff is mostly just like, oh, I grab hold of your head or something. Mm-hmm. But this has that kind of visceral, bloody, just angry violence that you would think of as a vampire thing. 
Yeah. And so I like that it works that no, way. No, it does. Because I'm thinking of like, the, there's that South Park episode with the vampire kids. And the, the one was like, I'm a psychic energy vampire, which means I don't necessarily need to drink blood. I just hang around near people and absor- absorb their energy. Yeah. And I was like, does that just mean you're an extrovert? Huh. <laughs> uh, according to the internet, yes. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> so, yeah, they get Andy and that's that's their full squad. Yeah. Uh, and we jump eight years later. Uh, you know, uh, Danny has his eight year token. He, he's, and sha- he's clean shaven now. Up until this point, he's had a bad old Joshua Jackson style beard. Oh, up until this point, he's been essentially hungover Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. And now he is sexy Ewan McGregor Moulin Rouge. Yeah. Yeah. He's right back to having that damn winning smile. And <laughs> a dick the size of a shoe. <laughs> He's not Santa. Get out of here. Yeah, but I mean, I've seen his dick on a variety of occasions. He's one of, he's it's, one of those It's act- like a Nike, that thing. Yeah, he's really big on getting that thing out. Ah, so Not in this movie, by the way, if you're worrying about it. Ewan McGregor's hog, yes or no. No hog. Yeah. This is a hog-free movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the, uh, the kid, Abra, who has grown up now eight years and is like 13, 15 years old mm-hmm. in high school. Yeah. Uh is still having conversations with him through the blackboard Mm -hmm. and she's super psychically awesomely powerful. And unfortunately though, this means that she kind of keys in at a point when these psychic vampires murder a kid. Yeah. So it turns out that the person that Crow had been tracking for a long time now, uh, is a kid living out of rural Iowa who can read a pitcher's mind. And therefore he is very good at baseball specifically being a batter. I mean, you can just say he has mind-reading powers, and one of the things he uses it for is knowing what pitch the pitcher's going to throw. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. We never established beyond just that he is uncannily good at baseball. Uh, he's young Casey, takes the bat. Yeah. Uh, and he gets kidnapped. At first, they're just like, hey, kid, you did a great job on today's baseball game. Why don't you get in our van? And he's like, no. And then they just open the door, and Abby, Andy pops out and is like, you want to get in the van? He's like, yeah, I want to get in the van. Yeah. And so and I'm like, man, what did you guys do before you had a pusher? You had to I, get real violent. I assume they just kidnapped. I mean, we yeah. saw what they did because they did it to that little girl named Violet. Yeah. They just caught her by the arm and wouldn't let go of her. Uh, and then it turns out that, oh, they, they stake him to a, to the ground in some abandoned factory or something. And, and he's like, are you guys going to hurt me? And they're like, oh, yes, we are. Because, you know, pain purifies the steam. So it pain turns out and fear will purify the steam. You understand. Yeah. It turns out that they call it steam because they only ever interact with it as being something that falls out of other people when they're killing them. Yeah. Uh, and everyone else calls it the shining, but they call it the steam. Yeah. Because when it leaves your body, it's steamy. Yeah. It's hot steamer right on your chest (laughs) that's a nice pleasing uh Uh, and abra because of sort of i assume this kid's shining sends out a plea in the mindo verse and abra tunes into it and sees what's going on here yeah and this catches very briefly the uh, the attentions of rose the hat and she's like oh someone was watching us yeah And and they murder this kid real bad oh yeah they like cut him up they're being real nasty about it and it's this like orgiastic breathing in of this psychic steam and then they even once he's dead they take his body and squeeze it for extra steam that they store in thermoses yeah um so it's it's real messed up and then they bury him and at, during the burial she's talking to crow and she's like we had a looky loo we had someone who popped in and saw what was happening i was like oh did you happen to figure out where she was and it was like no, I'm pretty sure 
that are on the East Coast. I was like, that's like at least 1,500 miles away. Yeah, maybe more. This person is powerful. Like, you've been wanting a whale? This is a whale. Yeah, they mentioned that, that, that they haven't been eating as well as they ought to be, that there's been less shining people. Uh, yeah, they, they're getting by on people that have, like, tricks, like this kid being able to hit a ball well. Mm. It's not like he's super powerfully psychic and he's not aware that he has it or anything like that that's the i think there's a level where you suddenly trip over and now you're like like it's it's the switch from having minor psychic powers to having it be your occ oh yeah it's the kind of thing where you're like oh i i get some senses about things and i actively use my power yeah so basically she's pretty sure she tells crow uh, it is rose the hat that this this girl's not gonna be able to help herself she's gonna check in again at some point and then they'll figure out more about where she is. Yeah. Now, uh, we've gone for a bit here. I mean, not super long, but I do want to kind of talk about not so much the specifics in the plot for what happens with Abra and these vampires, but a lot of the themes and scenes that go on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, she does Abra, of course, continues to look into it. She, like, finds the missing persons report for this kid Mm -hmm. tries to recruit danny to help but every time she has an interaction with these vampires she is the one that is horrifying oh yeah because she is so powerful and and they really aren't i mean they they are uh you know as much as they're creepy and vampiric and they murder people when rose is like oh i'm the most powerful and i'm i'm gonna make contact and as soon as uh, Abra starts like looking through Rose's eyes. She's like, "Oh, there you are," and tries to like psychically hold her in place, and she gets fucking blasted back. Yeah, she's in some grocery store, and Abra responds to an attempt to revert because she's like, "All right, well, I'm going to look through your eyes and see who you are." Yeah, I'm going to tell the- where you are. Yeah, and then Rose is like, "Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to play the same game. I'll just reach back into your head." Oh, oh no! And then like the glass wall in front of her explodes, and she goes flying backwards, and it happens twice. She once she's landed on her ass and skated a few feet, a second shockwave hits her and blows her even further across the place. Oh yeah, this this Abra kid is too much for her. Yeah, and. You would think at this point she would go, oh, I'm the most powerful among us, and this kid clowned me like I was nothing. Well, she briefly does. She's like, okay, we're really going to have to gauge this one and whether or not it's worth going after her, because she fucked me over like it was nothing. She blew me out of her head like a fly. And then they're they're like, but we really need a big score, Rose. We really do. And we're running low. Like, look at Grandpa. He looks like shit. Yeah. And, and like, that- yeah, he always looks like shit. He looks like a weird monster. <laughs> he looks like a guy who runs a gas station near a haunted mountain. <laughs> yeah, That's- he he is definitely one of those. He yeah. is a harbinger yeah <laughs> don't ever go up in those hills there nah you never know what you find in those mm. hills yeah those hills only have a sonic burger <laughs> oh, one of, no one of the old-fashioned ones with the number one is a hamburger with mayonnaise and the number two is a hamburger with mustard you should stay down here where there's an in and out <laughs> <laughs> sometimes the bread is better <laughs> yeah he's an old angus scrim looking dude and then you know, really to drive the point home that they need to go catch this this psychic kid. He dies. Uh, what? Oh, Grandpa. Grandpa. Grandpa Flick. He dies. Yeah. Grandpa dies, and we find out that... He's like thousands of years old. Oh, yeah. Rose is like, look, you can't be afraid. You've seen empires rise and fall. You were there cheering on gladiators in Rome. Like, you are 
this mm-hmm. mythical being that people have written stories about. I want. I really wanted Andy to be like, wait, did he actually see Empires Rise and Fall and watch Gladiators and stuff? And she's like, no, he saw the film Empire Records and Gladiator. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I didn't mean to raise your hopes and make you think he was. The- He's like eighty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it turns out when one of these vampires die, they just turn into mist yeah. or steam. That's and a good shot. I love that because then all of the other people are just this predatory jumping on it and breathing it in and yeah it's it's very good at doing that whole like you're animalistic it's interesting they make a bunch of uh, discussion about how they are a knot they call themselves it's like what they call their group Mm -hmm. and each time they tie a new string to the knot that's like a bond of loyalty and so on which i assume is probably greatly expounded on in the book version of the film to, to explain why they don't just kill the shitty ones when they're when they're running low on food yeah you'd be like what's up bury the chunk hey why'd you come over here it's time for your like performance review or whatever and he'd be <laughs> turns like turns out you suck ass yeah. anyway turn into steam for us <laughs> yeah that that never comes up in the movie and you'd expect that it would now i assume it's because no one wants to be the one who's like oh but that could be me next yeah so everyone's very much like no we're very selective on who joins our team yeah but once you're in you're in yeah but the the scene that is the most in my mind like horrific horror movie type scene is rose astrally projects to try and find oh Abra. yeah that's rad as hell she eventually like goes to her house. Well, it's neat because Rose is the villain of the movie, and her astral projection is this tranquil, calm like oh she's flight just floating of the navigator shit where she's wearing like yoga leggings and a big puffy sweater, and she just looks comfortable and fine. She flies through town, just looking at like this tranquil lights beneath her as she floats through the sky, mm-hmm. lands in Abra's bedroom and looks over and sees all of these filing cabinets. And then she launches into like a explanation of what this is. She's like, oh, you humans always keeping all your memories and so on in little boxes. That's all you do. You collect little boxes. You should see my mind, honey. It's a cathedral. And it is at that point, while she is rifling through one of these file cabinets, that it slams shut, breaking her hand and trapping her in there, and an eyeless version of Abra, smiling creepily, is just like, you fell for my trap. And I'm like, holy fuck. Yeah, Abra's the, sca- Abra's the horror character in this scene. It's a great reversal. Yeah, um, and, and not- she like not only is absolutely terrifying, but she's like, Oh, good. Now let's see what's in your mind. And she like goes into the cathedral in Rose's head. And she's speed reading everything in her, in her entire mind as fast as she can. And, and Rose is freaking out and like rips her hand out of this filing cabinet. Breaks all of her fingers. Like scrapes the skin off. And, it is and, disgusting. And that's awesome. disgusting enough. But then she starts stepping backwards to try and get away from what's happening. And you can tell her feet are melted to the floor and she's ripping her skin off with every step. Yeah. It's, it's a horror show. Abra is not to be fucked with. No. And you would think, okay, maybe after the uh, the thing in the grocery store, she's like, okay, I'll be, I'll try and get there when she's asleep. I won't let her consciously do anything. Maybe that'll be safer. After this, you'd be like, nope, we're leaving her alone. Sorry, yeah, guys. This one's not worth it. I fell off of an RV and had a fucked up hand and feet. And, so nah, you guys can eat a dick. And we did these out of order because she gets knocked off the top of her RV where she lives. 
because uh, they keep talking about how these people are like mega wealthy and they definitely have control over the police and all this I stuff. I mean, they don't. They say that later. Uh, they do. They, they use it as an excuse for why they don't just call the police towards the end of the film. Yeah. But ultimately, these people travel like roadies. Uh, but she gets knocked off her RV, lands hard on the floor, and when someone comes up and is like, hey, Rose, we need your help, she's like, not now! And they're like, but the grandpa's dying. So that's the order. Yeah. Uh, okay. I mean, so. It doesn't really matter. No, not really. But now, now that because the thing that happens is she's like, well, we're probably going to leave this lady alone because I just got fucked to death by her. <laughs> um, it, it, but then like, oh, grandpa dies. And, you know, Crow's like, hey, you can't let this happen to more of us. We need food. Yeah. And he's like, we'll go. She only knows you. So if she's tracking any of us, she's tracking you. So if you come with us, she'll know we're coming. Yeah. So we're going to go after her. You stay here, and you can just sort of astrally watch what's going on. Yeah. Now, Crow's being a little overconfident, because because Abra's powerful enough to get into Rose's head, and, and then just then, zoom out. Like, when he, they first do the, she, like, blew me out of her mind like I was nothing, Crow Daddy's like, I didn't even think that was possible. Yeah, neither did I. And so at that point, he's got to go, oh, you were the most powerful of us, and she treated you like nothing what am i gonna do well, there's a conversation that happens right around this point where crow's like hey if she's that powerful why don't we just bring her into the circle we could really use someone that big and powerful and you can tell rose is, has com- conflicted feelings about that i felt like she was very obviously threatened by well, the concept yeah i think the idea was she was like i don't want someone that powerful to be with us i think she just didn't want a bigger fish well, in yeah, her small pond she would be in charge yeah She'd be in charge in a couple of hours because she's crazy powerful. Uh, so Crow's like, well, what are you talking about? We should go get her and bring her into the circle. If she's that powerful, then she'll be very useful for getting us more vamp- or food. And Rose is like, I do not want to to risk my position as the biggest fish in this pond. So no, we have to get her. And we're going to do this thing where we take eight, like three years to kill her. <laughs> um, but you know, Crow's like, okay, well, here's how this works then. You don't come with us. We'll go get her because she doesn't know who we are yet. And he's wrong. Because I mean, the moment that Rose looked at her, she zoomed out and looked at everything. She knows everything about them already. Oh, yeah. She's been through her mind files. Yeah. Uh, you know, but twists and turns and so. Uh, now, back on the Danny side of things, mm-hmm. uh, he has had Abra come see him, and he rejected helping her out. And this is the last time that he'll see Tony, where Tony's like, look, I tried to help you when you showed up you just showed up in my kitchen one day and fucked my life directly up yeah but it was still i'm still on the hook for it yeah it was my responsibility because you fell into my life she fell into yours you have to do something to help her yeah because she when she showed up she shows up in his house in new hampshire or place of work in new hampshire and is like hey help me out with a bunch of these things i need to get the baseball glove of the kid that died because i can do object reading yeah uh and he's like what no that's crazy i'm not going to help you with that but then tony the ghost is like get her what she wants you're you're responsible now don't be a dick bag and just think you can hide away and never use your power yeah use it for good my dude yeah so he recruits his friend uh billy billy to go on a long at new hampshire to iowa <laughs> drive yeah. a lot there's a lot of this movie is taken up by long flat drives which and i will again say this there are several shots of driving in this that are done in the exact same way as the shining drive up the mountain is done in the beginning of that movie so you have a lot of uh reminiscent shots in that the difference is it's all straight shots through farmland here uh, it's all like we're driving through Ohio, we're driving through Iowa, so it's just long, flat freeways surrounded by corn. 
And then they do a great job of, of centering in the, the shot so that there's creepy houses to the sides of the, uh, the road that have copses of trees around them. I just thought that was really kind of cool looking. Mm -hmm. No, they do a very good job in just the set dressing of everything in this. So he decides, yeah, sure, we're going to go help the kids. So he convinces his buddy, Billy, to go with him on a road trip to Iowa to find the body of this boy. They dig up a dead kid, and this obviously fucks both of them up to, like, dig up a kid who is very dead and has like worms crawling out of his face yeah they're even saying uh, they, they both seem to know a lot about burying people because well i mean well, I, they buried him like two feet down yeah, they're like, like they, they buried him shallow but they know the effects of burying him shallow they're like they're like oh he's covered in stuff it's because they buried him shallow i would not have known that well i guess because we, it's the you would get down deep enough you get to the hard pack earth well you get uh billy has a little background here where he used to be a hunter. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's and he right. was like, at one point, I shot this buck and I lost track of it. And then, like, a week and a half later, I found it. It had, like, hidden inside of a tree trunk and it smelled like this place smells. He also mentioned that that was hundreds of miles away. Uh, so this thing had managed to limp for hundreds of miles. And then, coincidentally, he showed up where it had died a few days later, uh, which to me was a cool supernatural description. I was honestly kind of taken by the fact that this movie had a couple references to how animals have powers too yeah um so yeah that but they find the dead kid they find the glove they barf a lot i was I, honestly surprised they didn't do a dead kid ghost here i mean it, it doesn't it's probably because it doesn't thematically make any it's not like necessary for the adds film it's nothing but yeah. also they ate all of his steam that's true they ate all of his steam and i guess that means he doesn't have any life force left yeah there's I'm, i assume his ghost is part of his steam mm-hmm. uh, makes sense so yeah, they give the glove to the little kid, and she's like, oh shit, it's Barry the Chunk. Also, they're headed over here, and Danny's like, you gotta tell your your dad. Uh, her mom is off visiting her dying uh, grandmother. By the way, her mom knows the kid has some semblance of psychic powers, and we get an establishing theme for that when the mom says, I'm gonna go visit your grandma. Tell me, is she going to make it this time? Yeah. So, it turns, so the parents have already kind of locked on to the fact that the kid is a little psychic, but then no one's willing to have a conversation about it. I mean, there's there's an, a shot early in the film where she levitates every spoon in the house to the ceiling of the kitchen. Yeah. Like, so, we know she's got superpowers. Yeah. That's and a, the parents but, know, but they don't want to. It's an unspoken thing where, where they, they encourage her not to do anything with it, but occasionally they will secretly use her for their own ends. So eventually they, you know, tell the dad. They set up this whole thing. I love the dad bit because the dad comes out swinging when Danny shows up. Oh, yeah. He's like... She is 14 years old. You leave my daughter the fuck alone. Who the fuck are you, yeah. Danny? And Danny's like, oh, you didn't tell him. You, just, you, you didn't tell him. Tell you didn't him. show him. Yeah, you just told him. And, and she, so she goes, she psychically shows him her, her, her dad the murder, and he's like, oh, oh, shit. Yeah, he just starts throwing up, too, because he just saw a little kid get murdered. Yeah. And uh, that's what brings him on board. Mm-hmm. And they have a whole plan where they're like, oh, we're going to set a trap for him, drive out into the woods, and... Uh, we're going to set up these hunter blinds and let them come to us. Yeah. And, and it works. And there's a big twist to it, uh, which is revealed in the middle of the of the hunting scene, which is amazing. Oh, yeah. Because they take Abra out and they're like, all right, you're going to sit here. And when they show up, we're going to kill them when they come to get and you. And you just look peaceful like you're sitting there waiting for them. And she's sitting there in like a meditation pose. But every time she talks to Danny during the setup for this, she's like, this is really hard. And he's like, I know, but you have to do it. And Andy like shows up then and is walking towards him and is like, hey, you want to go to sleep? Mm -hmm. You're feeling real sleepy. And she, you know, kind of like lulls her head and does whatever. 
and then she stabs into her neck this uh, syringe full of drugs, and then she pulls back, and she's just stabbing a stuffed rabbit, mm-hmm. and they're like, what the fuck is going on? Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. What is this? And then shots ring out, and half of them die immediately. I yeah. mean, they start shooting back and so on, but uh, they just- Oh, right- they all get- murdered Uh uh-huh one by one these people all get murdered the only one who he manages to survive is andy by running into the rv eventually she's already been shot in the shoulder and this is the point where danny and billy fuck up because they go stand by the rv yeah instead of being like well well, there's one woman in that rv all we got to do is keep a bead on the you know driver's seat and so when she gets in there and tries to drive out we'll just kill her then yeah but instead they're like let's just go up to the thing and stand there and i mean the problem is they don't both go there danny goes alone Mm-hmm. And as soon as she pops her head up in the window of the door, I mean, for his credit, he does immediately attempt to make the shot, yeah. but he's out of bullets, which allows her to come out and do her, I can sort of make you fall asleep. And we can tell Danny can fight this. Like, he can't completely say no, but he is fighting against what's happening. He's not quite as powerful as Rose, probably because of all those years of drinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, then Billy comes around, shoots her in the stomach. And as she is dying, she turns to Billy and is like, kill yourself. And indeed, he do. Yep, so that's the end of Billy. Uh, but it's also the end of every one of the psychic vampires, save Crow and Ju- and uh, Rose. Because Crow, theoretically, was there, but it turns out, oh no, he wasn't. He just went to her house. Yeah, so at that point, Abra's like, oh, did it work? Are we? And then she gets stabbed in the neck with drugs for real, and we see that the dad is dead. Mm-hmm. So Crow... His big trick was, I guess, going to the house instead of going with them to chase after her. Mm -hmm. I assume originally as just a, oh, well, I'll get, like, the family for insurance yeah, so we can force her to come along with us. Right. Well, there's this funny thing where when he's leaving, he he tells Rose, like, who's like, Rose is like, hey, I should go with you guys. And he's like, no, no, no. I have some tricks up my own sleeve. And apparently, oh, excuse me, apparently his his, uh, trick is that he's a... uh, like a power dampener like he can shut down her powers a little bit as long as he's also got her really well drugged uh but when he gets her it's just because he's doesn't go to the same place as the other folks yeah and, he just catches her unaware yeah and he just kills her dad but not with psychic powers just with a big fuck off knife yeah just stabs her dad yeah and puts drugs in her and kidnaps her mm-hmm. and uh you know we get danny does a neat trick where he kind of like shows up and possesses yeah, because he, uh, he's Abra. not drugged. She is. So he's just riding her body. Yeah, he goes in, possesses, and is like, hey, I'm the guy that killed all your friends. Yeah, and he does the same thing he's been doing to Abra, which is reaching for an obvious gun on his hip. And he, and, and Danny's like, you're not going to shoot me. I'm the food. I'm the prize. What yeah. would Rose think if you showed up and I was dead? Uh, also, by the way, you're real fucking arrogant. I can tell. It's the arrogance that comes with thinking you're going to live forever. You're not wearing your seatbelt. And then he just psychically jams the car mm-hmm. onto the side of the road into a tree and kills Crow. Oh, another vehicular death. They famously run over by a car once Stephen King strikes again. <laughs> oh, wait, was that Dean Koontz? No, that was Stephen King. Stephen, King, Stephen got, King got hit by a van. He got hit by a van, and now there's like five movies where we're getting hit by a car or a van or something. Is well, a he big flew deal. out of a car, oh. did Crow. Yeah, I know, but we still have Pet Cemetery. uh, Pet Cemetery, the other one. Pet Cemetery 2, uh-huh. Cemetery Harder. Uh, the part in It where someone gets hit by a car, probably. <laughs> uh, All of these books, of course, written before this happened. Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> uh, all right. So, the Mist, I think, has one. Uh, they get together, and at this point, Danny's like, all right, Rose has apparently 
huffed the remaining steam that exists yeah, and because, is too powerful. Oh, this is great. I don't, I don't want to sell this short. She kills, well, the two of them, Danny and, and Abra, kill Crow by ramming into a tree and he goes flying out. It's an awesome kill. You get to watch him convulsing on the floor and she comes over and kneels next to him and is like, I hope that fucking hurts. Oh, yeah. It's a great Again, kill. she is horrifying in her relations with these vampires. Yeah, she takes no prisoners with them, and it's really good. Uh, but he dies, and Rose feels every one of these deaths, and she gets real mad and astrally projects her physical form as a ghost onto the road. And, you know, Abra starts walking away from the crash, and Rose is like, you bitch, I, you, you really fucked up now. And Abra just walks through her and yeah, just keeps going. Like, uh... I really wanted her to be like, uh, you know, in my defense, you were going to eat me. Like yeah, I mean, I, I understand that you're like mad that your plan isn't working the way. It, it, but like, I get that you're angry, yeah. but being indignant is a little much. Given that your plan was to murder me, yeah. Did so you, fuck off. Did you? Were you hoping I just sit there? That that's a. I dumb, mean, I guess you were. Yeah, you, you really shouldn't have. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Haven't you learned anything about me via our previous interactions? I'm terrifying. <laughs> Don't do this. Yeah, and then we cut back to Rose's RV where she's like, oh, that mean bitch girl, oh, we'll see now. And then, yeah, she huffs every spare bottle of soul energy that she has lying around. And for some reason, they know that she does this because when Danny and Abra get together, Danny's like, oh, she's too powerful. And Abra's like, we could go to the police. Oh, they're so old and well-connected. We can't go to the police. And I'm like, how, what? Based on what? Based on what evidence is that part? Like, oh, they're so wealthy. The police probably wouldn't help us. I'm like, how? What evidence do you have that they have? They're road hobos. They they literally are living in tents and cars mm-hmm. with one nice RV. Yeah, and Rose is the only one who gets to sleep in it. Uh-huh. Everyone else is like sleeping in the bed of a pickup truck or in a pop up tent. Yeah, but you know they keep that money real good. I, I think it's because they live simple lives. Because you know the only thing they they eat is people uh or go well even then i'm not sure that's true because grandpa flicks bit of business is that he's always barbecuing yeah they're making food Mm -hmm. like they eat it just what they are sustained on is this steam yeah uh they must have known yeah because you're right they must have known that she huffed a bunch of souls because otherwise he would have been like uh we can't roses after us all right well let her come we'll (laughs) just beat the shit out of her i will fuck her directly up because i'm abra and i'm amazing yeah but instead uh they have the bright idea does danny of like oh we got to go to some place that's super dangerous for people like us but also dangerous for people like her and i know that for reasons yeah (laughs) i assume that the overlook hotel will be dangerous to psychic vampires because (laughs) (laughs) well it's the one thing he knows yeah he's like well this place is dangerous to psychics so i guess people who eat psychics it's like if you have a superhero problem and you recruit aquaman to help you you're gonna get ocean stuff <laughs> it's it's he's he'll work the ocean into it and and with dan if you're working with danny torrance he's gonna work this fucking hotel in that's his whole thing yeah so their whole plan is they're leading rose over to the hotel and he's like i'm gonna wake this place up and i'm gonna let it eat rose i wasn't a huge fan of this right up until the point where it turned out they have like radio walkie talkies or something because when the first thing he does is like, I'm going to go in the hotel and wake it all up. You stay in here. Under no circumstances do I want you to go into that hotel. And I was like, this is a dumb plan, Danny. She's not going to go in the hotel if the kid's sleeping outside in a car. Well, yeah, but he's like, <laughs> until I tell you to, yeah. your job is to watch for lights on the road. You'll see her coming like 10 minutes off, yeah. and then you let me know. Yeah, so that's what actually happens. Um, 
So he goes into the hotel, starts turning on a bunch of lights and electricity and the boilers and everything. The lights start coming on. We get a lot of reference shots of things that happened in The Shining. This is where the movie falls apart. Uh, I mean, not that it's an unsatisfying ending or anything, but the the tone of the movie shifts dramatically here. Yeah, the this is where the movie becomes... Instead of just being a love letter, it's sort of the obsessive fan instead. Yeah, it becomes a tour of The Shining. Like, but you better you better have obsessively watched The Shining, or you're going to miss a lot of this shit. Yeah, and some of it I really enjoyed. Uh, the whole thing with it is every time Danny walks through a place, the lights brighten up, and you can tell that like the the hotel is shining along with his shine and they do a great job of that old incandescent bulb noise yeah as the lights turn on you get that kind of noise which is so cool but then they give it up for the first time that happens in this movie at all shock scares there's a light he turns on at one point that goes and you're like what the hell was that did did a motorcycle go by (laughs) no it's a scary light Ah, this is the spooky light. Yeah. The worst thing for me is there are a couple points while he's walking through this where they flash back to a reshot with the actors from this version of things that happened in The Shining. And they didn't need to. It looked like they were going to divert from doing it. Yeah, the first time it's he's going to the room that they were staying in at the Overlook, and there's that big axe hole in the first door and of course he goes through that and also access through the bathroom door but when he gets there there's no flashback he just sort of walks through and looks at this room Mm -hmm. he sees the old red rum still written on the door yeah and there's no flashback there's just him walking through it and i was like this is so good as a character moment of him having to mentally relive this yeah but as soon as he gets to the very famous bathroom door... He does the look through it, and and that's cool. That's fine. Oh, when it's he, great because in the way he's doing it, he does the exact same movements of his head mm-hmm. that Jack Nicholson does, but slower and is just seeming to like look around rather than being like wild-eyed searching. Mm-hmm. And that was enough. That's where they should have stopped it. But instead, they just went and showed... An entire reshot version of that scene. Of Shelley Duvall cringing in the corner as the axe of, comes through the door. Yeah, her yelling, clutching a knife. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm at least glad they skipped the here's Johnny. Yes. The fact that they didn't do that, I'm like, well, you did have some restraint. Good. Yeah. Um, um, the He goes into the bar area, the dining room, and it does another great transition thing where as he's walking, this old decrepit dining room slowly lights up and turns into a like fully cleaned and ready for a party and the bar is now well stocked and looks bright and lit yeah and out comes a a, a tumbler which he looks at and then you get the same shots you do from the shining where you don't see the bartender at it's first. like ah oh, you're a whiskey man mm-hmm. like your father and eventually it becomes apparent that it's not the bartender from the shining it's his dad yeah is the new bartender they've got a a jack nicholson look-alike here which is hilarious because they have to do a shock reveal that it's a Jack Nicholson lookalike. But he's not a very, it's hard to be a Jack Nicholson lookalike because Jack Nicholson is a very famously identifiable individual. Yeah, they were like, oh, we basically just have to do it on hair. Let's just put a balding Wolverine in here and we'll call it a, a Jack Nicholson lookalike. Um, so, and then they have a long conversation where uh, Jack Torrance, uh, at calling himself Lloyd the bartender, being very insistent about it explains his alcoholism yeah he's like you know family kids job this eats your days this 
takes and takes from you and never gives anything. And this is your medicine. Yeah. And Which is like, such a fucked up worldview. Oh, yeah. You're like, God, this fucking Jack was no, so messed up. No wonder he had to die here and be a piece of shit. Because, like, no, the family family is great. It's It's the reason you come home from work. You're like, oh, my little baby girl. Yeah, and... Honestly, this is much more of the Kubrick interpretation of the character than the Shining one. Yeah. Because the dad in the actual book is very, like, trying hard to be a good dad, is very much corrupted by the hotel rather than just being a piece of shit to start with and it brings out more of it. Yeah, the Kubrick version of Jack Torrance was basically an indictment of 70s masculinity. Yeah. Uh, He was like, oh, what do you do? Well, I hate my wife, I hate my kids, I hate my job. The only things I like are cigars and and whiskey. Yeah. Uh, And being left alone. (laughs) Wood paneling. Uh, So we get the conversation there, which is then interrupted by uh abra saying oh the lights are here it's also the final moment in the film for danny to reaffirm his sobriety yeah uh, because we've had a couple scenes where he, he gets weak yeah and he twice pushes the glass away and is like no no i, don't I, want- I won't do this yeah. but it's the one where he has probably the most likelihood of doing it because he is confronted with the ghost of his own father i think that, and that's well, what his alcoholism is alcoholism is really yeah is the ghost of his father he's a little more stoic here than he is in the scene after uh he digs up the boy oh yeah because he digs up the boy he he shows he gets a bottle of alcohol from oh no it's uh when he sees that that uh abra's dad has been killed he takes a uh, he takes a bottle from abra's dad and takes it home and like puts it to his lips and smells it and everything and then finally throws it away in disgust yeah um but it's it's nice to see him reaffirm it and how much it pisses off the ghost of his dad. Yes. When he, when he's like, I, I don't drink the, anymore. The fact that his son would not follow in his footsteps is actually angering to Jack. Yeah. Uh, so that's a neat scene. And then, yeah, you're right. The lights, the lights show up, and so they go and they do their prep. And uh, a lot of interesting things here. We get Rose sees a lot of the stuff from there, sees the elevator open with blood. And that she's kind of just bothered like, me. Huh. Yeah, that bothered me because that looked like she was watching someone watch the movie. Yes, it was like it was literally the old shot from the from the Kubrick film, and she was just like, "Huh, neat." Like, like I you liked that movie. Like you would be if you were watching the Room Two Thirty Seven documentary. Yeah, like she had that level of investment. She's like, "Oh, oh yeah, I remember that." And you're saying it's about the moon landing now? That's fascinating. <laughs> oh. uh, so yeah, she eventually finds them in the the big writer's room where his dad was writing that novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's holding an axe and Abra's there and he's like, Abra, when this starts, you run away. Yeah. And well, she's mostly bemused because she's like, how the fuck did we miss you till this point? Yeah. She's like, God damn, you are powerful. What? How did you hide all these years? And he doesn't give her the answer, but the answer's obvious. He was drunk. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, but she's the, uh, like, how did, oh my God. And then she's like, wait a minute. I want you on the team because I'm dangerously low on vampires. Yeah. She's like. And he even goes, oh, are you the last then? He's like, no, I'm just the prettiest. How does it feel to be the last? And she's like, I'm not the last. Because of course she's not. I mean, there's, we've already established that there's at least one haunted hotel plus a bunch of vampires in one group. Of course there's more. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be splinter groups. Yeah. Her group was just the Nosferatu. We're, we're pretty soon we're going to find out where like the The, the Draculas are. Yeah. Where, where's them Draculas and the Brujas and the, the whole Camarilla now, or, or whatever. I'm not very good at vampire the masquerade jokes. <laughs> I'll leave these to John. Okay. Yeah. No, you won't. You'll do them anyway, and no, it doesn't matter. No, I'm stopping now. I can't think of any more. Uh, if you want Anne Rice jokes, I got you covered. Or Mo jokes about how she looks like Axl Rose's like leftovers. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Now, 
what happens here is she gets sucked into Danny's mind, mm-hmm. although she doesn't realize it at the time. Yeah, no one knows whose mind anyone is in. It's all tricks. Because she thinks she's in... In, uh, in Abra's yeah, mind, because she's like, oh, you made some improvements to this place the last time I was here, because now it's the forest maze from the Overlook that's all snowy. Yeah, and then Abba responds with, how do you know I'm not in your mind? And starts cutting her up with a knife. Yeah, and again, this, like sort of teleporting behind her and slicing out behind her knees and just really gleefully and remorselessly cutting up Rose. And, and quoting lines from the kill of the little baseball boy. Because she's like, she's like, oh, I, you know, pain and fear purifies the steam. I sure you understand. Yeah, and she's so terrifying in this. Like, Abra throughout this whole movie is just terrifying. Yeah. And eventually she does end up being able, does Rose the Hat, like, predict when she's going to do that whole teleport behind and slash mm-hmm. and just grabs her by the throat and then she abra's still smiling and she's like why are you smiling what is this oh wait a minute i'm not in your mind and, and then she, behind her you can see one of danny's boxes just like slowly creeping up on her mm-hmm. and then she responds with one of those psychic super moves where she just goes enough and like slams her hands down and dust flies everywhere and yeah everyone flies backwards now i will say this again during this thing when rose was chasing after abra it is very much the Jack t- chasing after his family in the maze as well. Uh, not just she that. does the same stumbling yeah. and through the same channels calls out Pup mm-hmm. to her. Yeah. And the o- the opening shot that establishes they're in the hedge maze is is pretty much the Jack Torrance frozen face shot uh, where she's just sitting, like they put a blue tinge on her and everything and she's very still for a couple of seconds while she's getting her bearings. So it looks a lot like the, the uh, dead Jack Torrance shot. Anyway... Uh, so yeah, Abra runs away, now that Danny and her are fighting, and he finally reaches for that, uh, that gun on the mantle that we have all been waiting for him to use. Oh yeah, because the moment we establish, we didn't say much about it, but throughout the entirety of this movie, we keep panning across a shot in the Overlook hedge maze that is his head, full of these old boxes full of ghosts. Yeah. And the whole time we're like, uh, eventually he's gonna have to open those boxes. Well, yeah. It's it is definitely the Chekhov's gun of this, and yeah. this is where he's like, I'm gonna use that because she starts like she shot him and then starts like jamming her finger into the bullet wound and like sucking his steam out. And as she's doing that, she's like, Wait a minute, you're not alone in there. What have you got in those boxes? What are you? What, yeah, because he basically gets her to suck up enough of his shining that she takes in all of the stuff that his shining has done in the past. And now the boxes are in her mind, and she's like, what the fuck are these things? Well, no, not in her mind. Yeah. It's just she can see that they're in yeah. his. And she's like, oh, these are secrets you don't want me to have. Yeah. And he's like, no, these they're aren't not... secrets. They're hungry. Yeah. I didn't really like, I mean, it's it's a neat, cl- uh, clean closure of a thing, but it doesn't make any sense for her, because, you know, she's like, well, what are they? And the box is open, and now she's surrounded by every ghost from the old Shining movie, you know, just looking a little worse, because they had to get, like, new people to do them. So it's like she gets killed by cosplayers, and she has no idea what the fuck is going on. So it's not a very thematically interesting ending to me, where she's like, who's this dude with a head wound? What is what's the What are these twins? What is this? I mean, yes, I'm getting killed, but I am very unclear as to what's going on. None of this has any reference to I me. Don't live in a in a universe where the shining was a film that existed yeah but i mean it is for danny it's it is this unleashing of these ghosts that he has been held on to mm-hmm. that's pretty much what this entire third act is yeah is danny's denouement yeah 
and not so much the end of the film as the end of Danny. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, granted, the, after they finish eating her and she goes poofing into steam. Uh, they go for him. They go for him. They don't quite get him. The hotel gets him. Yeah, instead of eating him the way that they sort of kill her, turn her into steam, and consume her the way mm-hmm. that she has consumed others, uh, they turn to him and basically possess him. Yeah. So, like, his uh, left eye goes all white, mm-hmm. and he has the same axe that his dad had. And the same stumbly limp that his dad had at that because point Because he was in the movie. shot in the leg. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, stabbed in the leg with uh, with the all of an with the uh, back end all pike pike of an axe. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, uh, but he you know chases after Abra is trying to get her and I love that scene. Gets her in room two thirty seven, which is the the drowning ghost lady room. And the ghost lady's like, eh? yeah. and Abra's just like, no, fucking try it. <laughs> <laughs> Again, just being like, God damn, Abra. I really wanted that scene to be more comedic than it was to have the old lady do the thing where she pulls the curtain back, eh? and have her go, fucking try it, and just watch her go, yeah, <laughs> just, clo- just close the thing again. <laughs> uh, now, Danny comes in here and. One of the things that you will note is not only is he moving in the same way as Jack, he actually swings the axe in the exact same overhand motion mm-hmm. that was used in The Shining when he is breaking through the door. Mm-hmm. So it is just like a shot-for-shot shot yeah. remake of that swing. Based on the Obi-Wan performance, I have to assume that Ewan McGregor is just the guy you go to when you need someone to act exactly like someone else. <laughs> uh, but he doesn't actually take out Abra. Abra's like... No. Yeah, because she's more powerful than the Overlook, so she's like, you're not going to do it. Get out of his head for a second so we and I can have a conversation. Hey, fuck off. Anyway, (laughs) hey, Danny. (laughs) (laughs) And I I love that even Danny's like, yeah, I I can't keep the Overlook out forever. Like, I'm strong, but I'm not that strong. And she's like, that's okay. Well, it's neat because the way she gets him to stop is like the Overlook Hotel in Danny is like, like, yeah, now now it's finally over and I'm going to kill you. And she's like, yeah, you know, before you woke up, Danny did one thing. He he set the boilers to max. Yeah, he went to the boiler room. And, and the uh, the overlook in Danny is like, oh, oh fuck. Oh, fuck. Oh, shit. And that scares it out for a second. And Danny's like, yeah, okay, well, someone's got to go turn everything off. And so you leave and I'll meet you outside. And he's not going to do that. No. Uh, somebody's got to shut the door is what he says. Yeah. And he goes possessed still by the house at that point running into the boiler room, seeing everything is boiling over and going to explode, and he has just enough power within him to resist Mm -hmm. the overlook, stopping him from doing that. And to see the ghost of his mom for a second. But the way that he actually drops here is what I would say is the reference to his dead dad in the thing. Oh, yeah, because he's passive and he's on his knees. Well, he drops to his knees, and he has the same look, but it's... He is surrounded by fire where his father was surrounded by snow. Yeah. And it's this dichotomy of someone who was dying in order to kill their family and basically Danny who was dying to save someone. Yeah. Well, because he's basically adopted the kid as his family at this yeah. point. It's, it's, it's the connection of The Shining. It's the same thing that Tony had. Uh, but we get a brief shot of the Shelley Duvall lookalike, which is nice because there's a scene when he's talking to Tony or something. I figured he was talking to her. He was like... Oh, Billy. He was telling Billy the story of how his powers work, and he was like, oh, yeah, I could always see ghosts when I was a kid. Uh, and I could tell when people were going to die because I would see flies around them, yeah. and I would call them death flies. And, you know, as my mom died when I was 20 years old, her face was so covered in them, I couldn't even see her anymore. I didn't want to look at her, and I, I think she could read that I didn't want to look at her, but she never knew why. Yeah. 
And so in this, we get this final reconciliation. And as it turns, like she's holding his face, we see that he has become the young Danny again. Mm-hmm. And then the hotel explodes. And then the hotel explodes and, and uh, Abra's outside. But luckily, someone called the police at some point. Yeah, uh, I assume that Danny did. Yeah. Because he was like, oh, I'm probably going to die well, here. Well, also because Abra a long time ago got rid of her phone. Yeah. Uh, because her mom was calling her and she's like, I can't have my mom calling me through this. I can't have them track my phone to where we're going. Yeah. So once this is done, you need to call my mom. Yeah. Uh, so she gets picked up by like emergency services, and then we cut to the denouement. And now, sure enough, Danny is the new Tony. And she is, uh, Abra is talking to Danny, and she doesn't hide her powers in her anymore. She talks to her mom and is mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to tell you nothing. I was talking to no one. I was talking to Danny. Hey, there's more afterlife when we die. We go on. I've seen dad already, too. Yeah, and dad's fine. Yeah. And so it's one of those things where the mother and her sort of have this connection at the end, mm-hmm. and you get the, she's not going to make the same mistakes that Danny did. No, yeah, because she's she's willing to use her powers, and she knows how to break the cycle. And then she and goes- also she's- ridiculously yeah. powerful so if anyone gives a shit she'll be like nah yeah and so she's like i'm so fucking powerful and watch as i break the cycle she says and she puts on sunglasses and then it's all and then she flies off into the and the credits start rolling i mean the actual thing that happens go with it now is the uh the bath lady shows up in the bathroom she's like hold on one second i <laughs> yeah. gotta take care of something <laughs> poor bath lady getting clowned on one more time although honestly this movie could have had the matrix ending and it would have been fine <laughs> it would just have her go outside put sunglasses and fly to a rage against the machine song <laughs> Uh, so that's the end we went a little long on this one but uh there's a lot of reference a lot of stuff going on basically three plots happening at the same time your standard stephen king stuff and i i'm not even i'm not a big fan of the kubrick shining um i just find his movies kind of ponderous i mean yes but uh luckily i've seen it enough and often enough that the end of this movie was the complete drag for me because this thing is really banking on cultural cachet it's like the the last 20 minutes of this movie you have better fucking seen the shining well yeah the thing is it feels so much like oh you heard this was a sequel to the shining all right, fine. The last 20 minutes are an actual sequel to The Shining instead of just going forward with one character. Yeah, yeah. And and very like a sequel where you need to have seen it. Because, you know, you can watch Iron Man 3 without seeing Iron Man 2 and you're going to be fine. <laughs> It'll be okay. He probably did some stuff with robot suits. <laughs> uh, so let's go ahead and give our best and worst in this movie. Jeff, give me the best thing from this movie. Uh, it, I'm I'm gonna take the fact that the scariest thing in the movie is the protagonist character. Oh, yeah. I think that I think that's awesome. I love the performance of that character. I love the the framing and the use of anytime they do horror tropes in the first two thirds of the movie, it's her scaring her villains. Yes, it's it's a it's a brilliant move, and I feel like it falls apart in the third act where she turns into the damsel in distress who's running away. Uh. Oh, you know, up until the exact last second, she's she does a damsel in distress turn, and instead of her being the scary thing, it's scary lights and scary doors, yeah, uh, and flashbacks to to Jack Torrance. <laughs> uh, but but up up until that point, she is terrifying and awesome, and I think it's the best part of the film. Oh yeah, and, I and, mean honestly, I agree. It is the best thing that they do. That decision is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that if I'm not going to use that, probably the best thing in this for me is the uh the interpretation of danny in this i really like i love ewan mcgregor how he plays danny there's a lot of very small choices in the way that he speaks in how he delivers lines that you can see this connection to the original 
character from The Shining mm-hmm. without it just being someone trying to do an impersonation of that kid as an adult. I also really liked, and I thought this is what I thought you were going to say, was the uh, the conceptualization of how the psychic vampires operate. Oh, yeah. I uh, like that they turned them into four real vampires instead of just like, ooh, we we get near you and suck your energy out. They're like, oh, we straight murder you. Yeah. No, they're, they're, they're scary and they're well done. Uh, however, if I were to pick a least favorite thing in the movie, it would which be, you do need to do yeah, right I, now, I do need to do right now. It would be that uh, they dress like spare devils rejects and the Dixie Chicks. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's off putting. They're not scary. They look ridiculous. It's true. <laughs> I mean, it's sad, but it's true. She always dresses like she's three minutes away from filming an Alanis Morissette video, and honestly, it's not okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's not okay. It's not fine. Uh, also, I may, this is a super nerdy thing, but I kept drawing comparisons between her and the Superman villain, the Hat, huh? who's a very minor Superman villain whose power is that he has a magic hat he can pull whatever he wants from. But he has the same hat, and he's also called the Hat. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, there's no way that Stephen King was referencing late period Superman versus the Authority stuff. No, so it's just a weird coincidence that was freaking me out a little. What was your least favorite thing? Oh, it was definitely the bit in the last you know twenty minutes where they felt the need to do flashback stuff. Flashbacks had, and shock scares. You had the flashback to the axe going through the wall where the Shelley Duvall lookalike is clutching a knife. You have a flashback to that scene where he's walking up the stairs menacingly towards her. Yeah, the stupid blood elevator scene for no reason. Yeah, you have a lot of little flashbacks. I shouldn't say stupid. That scene is awesome in The Shining. Yeah, but for this, it was just like, there's not even a connection that's really making you think that she's there. Mm -hmm. It's just like, oh, she's looking at a picture of this. Yeah. It's very bad. They shouldn't have done it. I understand why they did, because, you know, Hollywood is terrified that you might miss what the fuck is going on in a movie at some point. So they have to be like, no, we're going to put this in here so we can remind everyone what was happening in The Shining. Yeah. And yeah, like I said, The Shining is not my cup of tea because I find his movies a little ponderous and boring. Um, But there are awesome scenes in it. There's just a lot of filler between them that I'm sure it's not supposed to be filler. It's atmosphere. Well, no, it's Kubrick's whole thing is he's like, I want every shot to be a painting. Like, I want everything that goes on screen to have a purpose. And I want every painting to be a seven minute painting. Yeah. Uh, But the thing is, he's like, oh, my painting is actually a tapestry that goes on for a while. (laughs) Like, if you can picture the first time I mentioned how I thought Kubrick films are ponderous on the difference of time. Uh, distance of time between then and now that's about half the dis- the length of time that that dude was falling into the monolith in 2001 <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's still just going through color palettes so we're gonna go ahead and give the moving each of us uh zero to five gives it a rating out of ten jeff that's about a four this is a good horror movie uh i, I like this a lot I, I definitely liked it more than It Chapter 2, which I felt was kind of meandering and had to... Well, honestly, it's because It Chapter 2 had so much friggin' work to do. It had to cover three quarters of a big fuck-off book. True. Uh, where this was... I think Doctor Sleep's... A it's a single sl- book, and it's, it's, it's not slimmer. huge. Yeah, so I, I think I'm going to give this a four out of five. It's it's definitely worth it. It would be getting even more if not for the kind of dramatically jumpy last half. Yeah. Or last third. What about you? Uh... I'd give it a four. I think it was definitely one that I'm like, I would be willing to watch this again. Mm -hmm. Uh, It has a lot going on in the background that additional watches would actually be useful for catching certain things that you might have missed. I think it was very well done as a sequel Mm -hmm. in addition to a standalone. And like you say, there was just there was a lot of little choices made towards the end, especially 
that stopped the flow from working as well as it should have. Yeah, no, it wasn't great. It, it was it, it was a little disjointed. A lot of great performances. I forget the name of the girl who played uh, Abra, but she's fantastic. Uh, Kylie Coran. Yeah, she's fantastic. Uh, Ewan McGregor's fantastic. Rebecca Ferguson, someone to watch. I'm really look for, looking forward to it. But I hope she takes that pork pie hat and gives it back. <laughs> gives it back to Sylvester Stallone where it belongs. Uh, so there you go. Eight out of ten, and not bad if you. Uh, haven't caught it it's probably on its way out of theaters now but Mm -hmm. it's definitely something that i think is at least worth a watch if you're someone that likes horror liked the shining and likes ewan mcgregor yeah Yeah. so thank you so much for joining us we will of course be back in another couple weeks with more movie mastery we will have our poll up on systemmasterypodcast.com. But be aware that I may dispense with the December poll entirely because uh, I'm I'm hijacking the show for Christmas. Yes, Jeff is having a hijack, and uh, <laughs> it's fine. I hijack October and just make it all about me. He yeah. can do that for December. But I want to bring back Bad Dad Christmas Dad <laughs> in a bad way, so get ready for some of that. We're going to see if there are any Bad Christmas Dad movies in theaters for december and if there Ooh, are we good, might see it good point i'll check into that but, but but might not need the poll if i can find a bad dad christmas dad movie that's live this year we'll just go see it anyway huh. all right so we will be back another couple weeks thank you so much you can join us on patreon.com slash system mastery any little bit helps the show keeps us doing what we're doing and we appreciate anyone's support thank you so much for joining us we will see you next time and until then you have a good one